Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. This is the Stefan Levera podcast, a show about Bitcoin and Austrian economics. So today I've got some very, very special guests. I have Plan B and Safedine joining me together for the one podcast episode, and we're going to talk about stock to flow and S stock to flow cross asset model as well. Uh, but first, I need to uh, introduce the sponsors of the show. So just a moment. Okay, so uh, firstly, the first sponsor is Kraken. They are one of the world's biggest Bitcoin exchanges. They're one of the longest standing. They have low fees. They are a well-known brand in the space. They bring Kraken Security Labs also. And so they're testing some of the security, not just of Kraken, but of other counterparts and other parties in the industry as well. So they're really well-known brand from a security perspective. They also have Kraken Pro mobile app so it's a beautiful mobile-first design that gives you all the best of Kraken. So make sure you check out the Kraken Pro mobile app. And there's also CryptoWatch. So that's CryptoWAT.ch. And they've got a range of charting and terminals there. And you can also, funnily enough, there's a stock-to-flow indicator inspired by Plan B. So check them out. Next up is Unchained Capital. Bitcoin financial services. So if you need to think about ways to secure your Bitcoin going into the halving, if you're bullish, you want to make sure your security is good. So look up unchained-capital.com. They've got these multi-signature two of three vaults. You can use Trezor or Ledger. It's, a, it's an easy to use web interface. They've got all this incredible material on their website. They've got vaults here. If, if you need help getting started, you can even book in and get some help from the team. Um, or if any of you are interested, just give me an email or a DM and I can put you in touch myself with Parker and with the guys at Unchained who will help you set up. And so they offer this vaults product and you hold your own keys. You hold two of three keys in that multi-signature setup. Additionally, they offer loans, meaning you can put up some Bitcoin and get USD uh, as, as, as part of that loan. Um, they've also got some incredible content in terms of uh, their blogs. And they've also got Caravan, which is an open source multi-signature coordinator. So keep an eye out for that because there'll be some updates coming on that very soon. So if you want to sign up with them, make sure you go and check them out. The website is unchained-capital.com. Next up is swanbitcoin.com. So if you are in the US and you want to find an easy way to buy Bitcoin and do it automated without having to manually buy Bitcoins, and you want the cheapest way to do that, you can't go past Swan Bitcoin. You can set up your any major US bank account and automatically buy with every, every week or every month. And you can start as low as $5. And so the guys at Swan Bitcoin, you know, they're taking the perspective that, look, timing the market is hard. So just buy regularly. And that's the strategy. And so there's a, there's a really great team there as well. And you can see down here, they've got um, some content here on the blog. They've got the Swan team, Corey Clipston. I've had him on the show. Jan Pritzker, the CTO. He also wrote Inventing Bitcoin. Uh, also, I'm an advisor and I have a small equity stake as well. So check them out. And lastly, it's the Cypher Safe. So you've got to You've got to secure your seed, right? So if you've got a hardware wallet, if you're holding your um, your Bitcoin keys, you want to make sure you've got them backed up. So this is what the cipher wheel looks like. It's in a it comes in a wheel shape, and you put in the words of your seed. So that's what you can use to help protect it. And in in there, you can also check out some of the other products that they've got, such as the uh, casino dice to help uh, roll uh, if you need to, you know, roll 
for um, the entropy as well. You can also buy a cold card packaged with it as well. So that's uh, an option for you as well. So the website for that is cyphersafe.io. Okay, so that is uh, the um, the sponsorship material. So make sure you check them out. Now, in terms of introducing my guests, now Plan B uh, first appeared on the show in episode 67. He is a pseudonymous Bitcoin quant and also an investor in his day job. So he offers uh, some really incredible analysis and really set you know set the Bitcoin world alight as well as the finance finance Twitter world as well. Uh, and so he's he's rejoining us today. And my other guest is Safedean, the author of the Bitcoin Standard. He's an economist, and he also uh, was actually the first guest on my show. And he is also running Safedean.com, which is his academy to teach how to uh, you know learn about Austrian economics. So I'm just going to bring in the guests now. So welcome, Plan B and Safedean. Thank you for having us, Stefan. Thank you for having me on, Stefan. Excellent. So look, Plan B, let's start with you. You've done some awesome new work with the stock-to-flow cross-asset model. Can you tell us a little bit about why you did this and what what's going into that? Yeah, sure. Um, the uh, SOFX uh, model, it, it was a, a long-standing wish of me um, to integrate the two formulas that I had, one formula for the time series uh, Bitcoin model and one formula for the gold and silver, so the cross-asset model, into one formula. It, it was nagging that, 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 that it was two formulas. So I always wanted to integrate that. And it's, it's funny that uh, Raul Paul um, from Real Vision, he, um, he, he read my article, uh, well, almost immediately after it uh, was published. And he wrote an article on, on Bitcoin himself uh, much earlier than that. I think it was 2015. But he recognized right away, he said, whoa, you, you, you not only solved this for, for Bitcoin uh, valuation, but also for gold and silver. And back then, I, I didn't really understand him uh, because, yeah, there, there were two separate models. And... and it, it is right now that, that I merge them into one that I understand what, what Raul really meant uh, back then. So uh, so that, that's one reason. And the other reason was um, I wanted to introduce a new way of thinking, a new perspective on the, on the same data. So um, um, I'm not using any new, uh, new data, just the, uh, the, the, the one from, um, from the earlier model. But it, it, the whole discussion went into one... Um, um, uh, perspective, and that's the perspective of of time series co-integration, R squared, the drunk and the dog. That you, you know that 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 narrative, and and it it um, it brought a lot of quants uh, into the space. Right, it's, there's there's hundreds of quants now now working on this, and and that's really cool. On the other hand, it's a very specialized, very technical way of looking at at Bitcoin, and um, and well, we'll talk about it in a minute. But this this new model offers another way of looking at the same data, uh, looking at it in in phases and, and clusters. So uh, yeah, I, I really like that. And the hope is that this will activate uh, next to the quants also, yeah, other brains. We need more. We need more brains in the space. Uh, brains like uh, military thinkers, geopolitical, uh, strategic thinkers. Uh, 
we really need those. So uh, yeah, th- those are the two reasons. Fantastic. And look, Safe, let's go to you. I want to hear a little bit from you around this concept of uh, transitioning, right? So, uh, you know, there are different conceptions of money. We have, say, the charterless view, right? The government, the king, the god sets the money. We have, let's say, the David Graeber view, which, you know, we might disagree with, that money started as debt. And then we have the Mengurian story, right? It's the most saleable good and it's spontaneous. And then perhaps we might a slight amendment or continuation of that story is the Nixabo shelling out story of it started as proto money as medium of wealth transfer not necessarily small value small value transfer so can you give us some of your views on that and how uh, how a money can evolve through those stages um yeah i think it's uh, I, I think plan b's work is absolutely fascinating in this regard it's um put, putting a quantitative um, number on on this is uh, something that i I would have thought initially when I first heard about it, I was extremely skeptical and I thought, you know, it's just a bunch of nerds trying to put numbers on economics. And we all know economics can't have constants because there are no constants in human action, but it's, uh, it's, uh, I have to eat my words and uh, just look at it because the numbers speak for themselves. And, um, you know, the, 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 the regressions happen to have extremely strong explanatory power. And I think it's it's extremely, it, it would be extremely disingenuous to just dismiss this when we see all these uh, extremely high correlation factors and when we can tell very clearly how the causality works because we know that the stock to flow for Bitcoin was, um, uh, was laid out before Bitcoin was operational. So we knew that this was going to be the Bitcoin supply according to the plan, uh, according to the uh, schedule, back in 2008, this was uh, the information. And then the price since then has um, basically tracked what the stock to flow does with extreme precision. Um, it might not seem very precise if you look at it over the last year that we've gone from, say, three to 13,000 and back and forth. That doesn't sound very precise uh, because you know you're tripling in value and still the model still holds. But when you look at it over the um, the entire period of 10, 12 years, this is you know the the move from three thousand to thirteen thousand is still uh, is still a tiny little move compared to where we were, which is zero point zero zero three dollars, and to where we're going, which according to Plan B is probably a hundred. Uh, trillion market cap so yeah it's 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 astonishing to think of it this way and this new stuff on uh, cross assets is uh, is quite fascinating because uh, it suggests something that i had intuitively also thought about but had not thought of quantitatively as well and that is uh, the idea that uh, at any given stock to flow ratio bitcoin becomes a different uh, kind of good and that's just fascinating so some people would have uh, some people that have said Bitcoin is a Veblen good in that as the price of Bitcoin goes up, people want to buy more of it. And while I think that is correct, uh, that yes, as Bitcoin goes up, people want to buy more. I don't think it's accurate to call it a Veblen good because um, I think the definition of Veblen good is that it is is that the quantity demanded increases as the price increases. But I think, um, you know, from the Austrian perspective, 
they don't like to think of anything as being a Veblen good. Everything uh, works according to the law of demand. Uh, but what happens as the price of a good increases is that uh, is that the kind of good changes. So the common example is that, uh, for instance, people pay for a Gucci bag or for a Louis Vuitton bag. They pay because they're they pay more when it's more expensive because they want it. They want the status symbol. They want the uh, you know you're not buying the bag because you need a ten thousand dollar bag. You're buying the bag because you want people to know that you can afford a ten thousand dollar bag. So if they discount it and if they put it on sale for $500 or for $100, then that defeats the point. And people think that, okay, well, that's a nice bag, but you might have gotten it for 100 So the point is that as the price of the bag increases, then the bag is a different good. And this is not, um, it might not be very easy to understand this in the case of the bag because even even at ten thousand, yes, there's there are a lot of people who will want it as a uh, as a status good. Although it's likely still to be a smaller demand than if the price was low. But in the case of Bitcoin, it's very clear because what you're looking for in a money is liquidity, and as the size of Bitcoin increases, the liquidity of Bitcoin uh, increases as well, and so that becomes a far better money and a more liquid money, and so. It seems that this is what this uh, equation is capturing. As the stock to flow increases, Bitcoin becomes a different kind of monetary good, um, and it's um, and and you know as the uh, liquidity increases, the demand for it increases. Because if you had Bitcoin with a market market cap of a million dollars, there's very little demand for putting money in a global network that is totally worth a million dollars. So you've got a million dollars distributed all over the world that you can trade with. When it's a billion, that's a much bigger liquidity pool that you can trade with so that you're more likely to put money into it. And at the trillion, it's going to be uh, an, an even uh, uh, bigger liquid market. So it's, it's, a, it's still a more advanced, uh, or, or it's, a, um, it's, it's a good that is going to, like to attract more demand. So I find this extremely fascinating. Yeah, I think so as well. And I guess to summarize, I guess it's sort of like traditionally we would, when we talk about the law of diminishing returns, we're talking about the same good. And the more you get of it, the less you should want of it. But in this case, we're saying we're distinguishing Bitcoin because we're saying it's actually one of those things where the bigger that network is, the more liquidity there is, the better it is as a money. So let's bring it back to you, uh, Plan B. Let's talk about uh, your phase transition concept. So let's just pull this up on the screen. And um, do you want to just talk, talk to us a little bit about phase transitions, Plan B? Yeah, so, so the first um, example is water. And, and uh, those who've known, who've had that at, at school know it, but, uh, but water can exist in different phases. It can be um, a liquid uh, or solid. Uh, like the uh, the ice in your uh, cocktail it can be a liquid it can be a gas and it can be ionized as well so the, it's all water but it's it's totally different things totally different properties and as a matter of fact if we go to the second example of the US dollar um, you also see that in finance because the US dollar we always talk about US dollar but those uh, the dollar hasn't been the same uh, with the same properties the last 200 years so first it was a very 
defined um, quantity of silver and, and, and thus gold. So, so uh, the gold dollar phase, if you will. Uh, but that ended because gold, well, it's, it's heavy, it's, it's uh, clunky, and, and paper is much, much easier in portability terms and uh, divisibility terms. So uh, it changed to, uh, to a paper uh, dollar, but, but that could always be um, a transfer to gold. So you could always get your gold with the, uh, <laughs> with the dollar. And it also uh, had that written on the note. So, um, so that's, that's okay. But then in, in 1971, uh, Nixon um, uh, got the dollar of the of gold. The gold standard was no more, no more, uh, was gone. So, so the dollar was basically backed by nothing, and we 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 call it dollar when it was gold, when it was uh, transferable in gold, and when it was backed by nothing. But if you do statistical analysis on it, it's almost impossible because those are really different things. Um, and then you you can see it in Bitcoin. Uh, the third example as well. Because um, Nick Carter and Hasu, they have this this uh, narrative study. I, they they already did it in 2018, where the narrative of Bitcoin changes over time, and it looks very gradual. But I guess it's 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 less gradual than it looks. But it, it goes from from a proof of concept uh, thing, you know, a white paper that that was actually uh, um, uh, running on software and 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 just just looking. Trying it out, proof of concept, and then it went into the into the payments phase, where uh, where uh, and and there was a very distinct um, transition there as well, because because there was a period, I think it was April two thousand eleven, when um, Bitcoin got uh, to the dollar parity, so it was worth one Bitcoin was do- uh, worth one dollar, and that changed the narrative a little bit. People started thinking. Of Bitcoin, uh, not in 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 terms of a white paper and some some proof concept software, but in terms of a payment system that they can actually use it for paying small things like cup of coffee or or uh, micro payments was the talk of town at the time, uh, and then it it went really fast. So so the price shot up and and uh, even above two th- in, in 2013 above a thousand dollars towards the price of an ounce of gold which was 1250 at the time so the whole narrative of digital gold which was already re- uh, there from the beginning right uh, the e-gold story that that sabo uh, uh, wrote but it it really catched on and and um, so the e-gold it, uh, could be locked looked upon as the next phase and right now what we're seeing after uh, uh, we, we we crossed uh, one thousand for good, and, uh, and and we have futures markets, uh, professional futures markets. The CME in Chicago and New York bucks that on the on the ice system that all the futures are, are on. Uh, we we might be uh, talking, and and you see that in the chart as well, about a financial asset. So in in a way, Bitcoin, while we call it Bitcoin all the time, it it it. Um, transition from from a concept a proof of concept into a financial asset and that that's very interesting and that got me thinking about uh, uh, a better narrative and and also a better uh, a mathematical model okay great and so uh, we've got some of the uh, the concepts here that you spell out so we have proof of concept moving into payments into e-gold into financial asset and so on that do do we have any evidence for these phases or do we just uh, we, we have to try to ascribe certain 
what we believe it is. Yeah, I, th- I think the study that um, Nick Carter did was was um, was not very quantitative, right? It was based on narratives and and a bit subjective, uh, if if you will. But um, I, I recognize the uh, the faces as as narratives that that were in the news and and in my head at the time. So. Uh, yeah, I don't know if if they're really there, and, and that's why I wanted to quantify it because that's that's when you know it, are there really faces like that, and that that, that yeah that was a wish I had for a long time. So uh, um, I think that's that's where it gets real for me as a quant. Yeah, yeah, and, and safety, and I think a, a good question for you at this stage would be around the, the concept of demonetization, right? It's like I think, and I think uh, recently you commented as well that uh, silver uh, is not coming back. Can you tell us wh- why is that? Yeah, um, I think um, uh, you know I've uh, I've made a name for myself in the Bitcoin circles as being the shitcoin hater, and uh, I'm now moving this to the analog space as well by uh, <laughs> going after silver bugs and continuously reminding them that what they're after, what their beloved monetary metal is not a monetary metal. Silver, I think, is an industrial metal. It's like copper. It's like iron. There was a time in which iron was used as money, um, and then there was a time in which copper was used as money, but they were demonetized. Iron first, and then copper. And I think silver has followed. And um, you know, if we look historically, we see that the price of silver to gold historically used to be much higher. Silver used to um, be worth much more. So about uh, two hundred years ago, it was at around fourteen, fifteen. To one, so 14 ounces of silver for one ounce of gold. Um, then the the turning and before that it was much it was higher as well. But around 1870 is when silver really started to crash in terms of price. That's when um, I think the turning point uh, is um, was the uh, Franco-Prussian War in 1870 when Germany asked for its indemnity in gold and then switched to the gold standard. So when Germany switched to the gold standard. That was uh, really the you know the, the uh, pivotal moment because before that most countries uh, most countries used both and some countries were on silver standards some countries were on a gold standard so the world was largely bimetallic um, but uh, you know Britain Switzerland Holland and uh, some of the main uh, economic powers were already on gold and then when Germany switched as well then that just uh, made it. Uh, that really uh, strengthened the network effects. And from then on, the price of silver has just been crashing because, um, you know, there was no more good reason to hold on to silver. Uh, Of course, I should add, it's not just the Franco-Prussian War. It was more importantly the fact that uh, with the development of modern banking and banknotes and bills and checks and letters of credit and all these uh, financial instruments, uh, less and less of the transactions were taking place with physical gold or physical silver, and so therefore, uh, you know, silver's raison d'etre, which was that it was uh, useful for doing small transactions, disappeared. So then, the interesting thing is that after that happens, um, we see that there is a there is a change in the way in which silver uh, is um, perf- acting on the market, and that people no longer are using it primarily as a monetary metal, or a lot of people are using it as a monetary metal because they still think of it as a monetary metal, but it's functioning extremely badly for them as a monetary metal. And the value of the silver holdings continues to decline in real terms, 
while the industrial uses of silver continue to expand in real terms because of the declining uh, price of silver um, or relatively declining price of silver. So we see that what ends up happening then is that um, because people aren't using it as money anymore, more and more of the production is being put into industrial uses. And then when it gets put into industrial uses, we're talking about the stock declining. Um, and so that effectively means that the stock to flow ratio will decline as well. So, uh, you know, historically, it used to be that the stock to flow ratio for silver was around 20 or 30. But I think it's um, it's probably more accurate to see it that, that it's somewhere around three or five these days. It's continued to decline because more and more of the stock keeps getting eaten into industrial uh, uses. And then the flow continues to increase every year because, um, you know, we get better at finding things. So the stock to flow continues to decline. And we see how it, uh, silver has really gone through this phase transition, uh, the opposite direction from Bitcoin, where it was being used as money, but now it's largely an industrial metal. And we see the price of gold, uh, the silver to gold ratio. Um, in 1870, as I said, it was about 15. Now it's around 100 or 120. It just continues to go up. And um, you know, no matter how far uh, the price of silver crashes, we still find people who think of it as money and still think that, uh, you know, if it crashes more, that just means it's going to rise more. But I don't see that happening because um, even if we were to convince people around the world to start buying silver, even if we had billions of people start putting their money into silver, that's not going to work. The price is going to go up, but silver miners are just going to produce more and they're going to crash the price. And we've seen this happen with silver a couple of years ago. When there was, uh, what, about 10 years ago when there was a big run-up in the price and it reached 40 or $50, but then came crashing back down again. We saw it in 1980 as well. You can raise the price of silver by cornering the market, as the Hunt brothers did, but because it has a low stock-to-flow ratio, it's always going to uh, be brought crashing down again. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's uh, fundamentally the lesson that we have to learn from that. Um, so, Plan B, perhaps you should uh, uh, let's get you to take us through the rest of the model. Um, so, if you could just take us through the clusters and some of your thinking around that, and uh, what the eventual predictions of the model are. Yes. Um, so, so if we're uh, thinking in, in in phase transitions and in phases, uh, and we look at the data, the chart you you show now. Um, you know, it's it's just the stock to flow index on the x-axis and the market value of Bitcoin on the y-axis. It's, it's uh, about uh, 10 years of monthly data points, so a little over 100 uh, data points. But if you just look at it, no models, no statistics, nothing, just look at the data, you see clusters. You see, uh, well, top right, big cluster we're in right now. You see in the middle around uh, stock to flow 10, you see a big cluster with some dots before that. And um, and, and between one and three, you see, well, you could, yeah, it's arguably you could say that's one cluster or you could say it's it's two clusters. Uh, I always had this, this feeling in all the statistics I did on the model that we, of course, we didn't have a formal halving before 2012. But it sure felt and looked like a halving that we have there. And, and that's the 2011 um, a jump in price uh, that we see there. Uh, so I tend to look at it as two um, uh, clusters. But, well, that, that's arbitrary. Point is, 
you can see clusters there. So uh, that could underline this this phase uh, story. And yeah, well, the next logical step then is to quantify the clusters. So uh, I added, well, it's, it's a, a genetic algorithm, but it's unimportant. You can do it with a lot of algorithms, a cluster algorithms. Those are looking for the centers of the clusters. So you just input, uh, I'm looking for two or three or four clusters. You also have uh, algorithms that find the clusters for you, but I just inputted a four. And then it looks it, it looks for the absolute centroid of the cluster. So there where the uh, the most dots are. It's not an average, it's median. It's it's there where the, where the, the clusters are dense. So in time series uh, terms, if you if, if you think up about the last four years, the price has been hovering around seven seven thousand for for four years uh, basically. Uh, so yeah, well, there you have it. The colored dots are are the exact four cluster, clusters that the algorithm finds. And um, yeah, it's it's maybe maybe if you go up a little bit. Yep, um, yep. So the clusters go. Um, they are around stock to flow one point three say one um about about three ten and twenty five stock to flow one three ten and twenty five and the market values that are associated with it are also from a uh, a different order of magnitude so the first cluster the total bitcoin market was one million dollars so really really small and everybody could could buy up the whole market if you want and the second cluster is uh 58 million third cluster is 5.6 billion totally different league and the uh, cluster we're in right now, of course, it's 100 and plus, uh, so 114 billion, 100 plus billion dollars, uh, which is small, but not not very small too. It's it's like a like a a large cap cap at the S and P 500, right? A big bang, uh, like I don't know Merrill Lynch or something. So uh, those are the uh, the clusters, and I think it's a better way of looking at this data than looking at the time series because if we go up a little bit uh, yep. to the chart again yeah sorry about that it's uh how i see it is this is monthly data but you could look at and others did that at weekly data or or daily data even but it would all only make the dot the, the blobs the blue blob data blobs thicker it wouldn't move the center of the data blob it wouldn't move the cluster or the face uh, so i thought well the face the center of those data blobs that's the real signal we should be focusing on and not all the noise that we add when we add more data so uh so yeah c going from those four clusters uh you can see it uh, visually with your eye they, they lie on a straight line so um so the next step was to bring in gold and silver in the next chart which was uh, the step to make it a uh, a real cross asset model, if you will, and then well, so so so, and then you have six data points, so the four uh, Bitcoin data points. But I view those four points as not as different kinds of of Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin in different in four different phases, so actually four different assets, and then I add silver and gold, and uh, I fit a line, a, a, just an ordinary least square regression line uh, through it and uh, well the r squared is amazing it's it's 99.7 percent uh very high um yeah sure so 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 now we have it one formula with with multiple assets in it um and of course i know right it, it's only six data points uh i'd like to add diamonds and real estates and and all the other uh well 
uh, assets with a stock to flow higher than one because below one, uh, yeah, that, that wouldn't help much, oil, uh, copper, etc. cetera. Uh, but there, there isn't much. There, there, there aren't much uh, assets or, or, or metals, if you will, that are uh, uh, really, scar- really scarce. So, yeah, basically this is it. This is the model. Fantastic. And so can you give us some insight around uh, timing then? So because now time has actually been removed from this model. It's purely looking just at stock to flow. So I guess, uh, do you have any thoughts around that, around whether that might mean, uh, like, say, the cycle? People are used to thinking of Bitcoin as, oh, four-year cycles and so on. Do you still, does this graph and does this model essentially still convey that, concept of a four-year cycle or do you think that actually changes now well there is a link it, um, you know s- statistically the time is out right there's, there's no time in the model no time in the formula yeah so we cannot do we're not, we're not doing time series analysis here we cannot do co-integration stuff we cannot do uh, well um, uh, auto regression stuff or, or moving average stuff it's a uh, cross asset model it's a uh, yeah it, it's a model that that is totally different from the time series world. Uh, um, yeah, so I think that's 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 the important part, um, and I, I think that's how we should look at it. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I guess we should just kind of put the high, the headline kind of pro- uh, projection as well. So, as you're saying, the estimated uh, next you know market value is uh, here that 288,000 given 19 million Bitcoins across the years 2020 to 2024, which is that uh, era or epoch, if you will, reward epoch. Uh, So I suppose the other question then is, uh, do you have a conception here of whether the model, this model breaks down at some point? As you've mentioned previously, the stock to flow model potentially would break down in the late 2020s. Do you have any similar idea with this one? Yeah, yeah. Let me, let me say uh, three things. So the, the numbers that you're seeing right now, the 5.5 trillion and the two, uh, 288K, uh, those are really big numbers, right? They're uh, five times the earlier numbers and they're, they're hard to believe in today's world. Uh, and we should, we should look upon them as a order of magnitude prediction, so a forecast. It's a... The whole model is is order of magnitude basically, and that's what I'm interested in. It's it's not like um, you know you see the tweets that uh, today the the stock to flow model value is is almost the same as the actual Bitcoin price, and to me that's that's actually pure coincidence, and it's it's not what the model is about. It's it's nice, but uh, the model is about orders of magnitude. So how would a stock to flow fifty six asset be valued? order of magnitude uh, wise uh, and and that's what we're seeing here so so that's one the second thing is that um, and that's that relates to your 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 earlier question as well we, we, of course we know that the stock to flow of Bitcoin will only go up it uh, through the halvings it will go up to to, to 50 100 200 etc etc so we can associate it with the time uh, frame that it it uh, so, so so the next time frame, uh, with a stock to flow 56 that will be 2020 that will be i think it's next week the halving in <laughs> may 12 uh to uh, 2024 so yeah you you could relate the assets although it's not a time series model to the time epoch that this asset is in like um well gold if you will 
uh, and that's that's by the way a very interesting um, topic of further research. And Safe and I already looked upon that, but data is very fuzzy and and, and it's, it's it's difficult. It takes time. Uh, how is how is gold and silver historically going through this uh, 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 stock to flow uh, value line? And especially the things that Safe said about silver losing stock, uh, so you know going down in the line. Those are very, very interesting things, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sure. And um, the other question that uh, might come up is something like lost coins, right? How many coins have been lost? Do we estimate that? Do we account for that in the model? Or do we just say, oh, look, those coins exist in somewhere? Uh, I, I guess at first you might think, okay, they're not part of the available supply. They're not on the exchanges. No one can sell them. Um, but uh, Safety, did you have any thoughts around that and also the concept around uh, Satoshi's schedule, if you wanted to expand on that as well? Yeah, I mean, I think the uh, the, the, the lost coins is um, is interesting philosophically, maybe, um, and uh, uh, in, a, in, in a police investigation kind of way of trying to find out what has happened. But um, mathematically and statistically, including them or uh, excluding them from the analysis doesn't seem to make much of a difference. So it's a, it's a pretty moot point. But uh, yeah, on Satoshi's schedule, this is something else that I um, that I found really interesting, which is I, I asked Plan B if he would run the regression using the uh, stock-to-flow variable as if the schedule of Bitcoin had been... Uh, as if the block generation for Bitcoin had happened exactly every 10 minutes as um, as per the schedule put in by Satoshi. So the way that it worked, the way that Satoshi put in the schedule for Bitcoin supply, as we know, is every 10 minutes a new block. And for the first 210,000 blocks, it's 50 uh, Bitcoins per block. And then for the next 210,000, it's 25 and it keeps dropping by half. So I thought it's, uh, you know, the, the, the interesting thing would be to use that schedule, which is very similar to the uh, actual stock to flow with the variation in time. It'll change only slightly, but I thought it would be interesting to use this and to see the correlation with it because uh, statistically, um, this is clearly, without a shadow of a doubt, an exogenous variable, as they say in statistics. And I think this is extremely important. Um, we can, we can, we we can get lost and spend a lot of time talking about the, um, you know, the, the mathematical specification and doing all kinds of tests um, for the way that the statistical relationship is set up. But there really is ultimately no replacement for thinking about things. And just you know, having a solid um, theoretical reasoning and understanding for why things work. And in statistics, um, you know, the the, uh, the problem of reverse causality and the problem of correlation versus causation is always one that is uh, present, and it's something that is that that can never really be resolved mathematically. I think this is something that. Um, good statisticians will admit, which is we can use all of these tests, we can look at all kinds of different statistical indicators to try and establish a relationship, but we'll never be able to mathematically determine and establish causality. You cannot do that. You, um, I mean, you cannot establish it and prove it. I think my, my favorite example uh, is um, 
from if you, if you imagine if you buy a puppy and there's a construction site next to your house and then you did a graph that plots the growth in the size of the building next to you and the size of the puppy you're going to find a very strong correlation and you know the two of them will grow for about a year or two in size and then they'll stop growing once they reach their full adult size or the building reaches its full size and so you could plot the two and you'll find a very strong correlation there's absolutely nothing that you can do mathematically that will tell you whether it was the puppy that caused the building to grow or if it was the building that caused the puppy to grow or if it was just a random coincidence that the two of them happened to grow very similar to one another uh, at similar rates this is not something that can ever be established mathematically um, you just need to use your brains and think and um, this is not a very popular thing amongst economists these days but among the Austrians you know we're not afraid of thinking and we're not embarrassed to admit that you have to use your brain there's no other way of figuring out um, how the relationship between puppies and buildings works if you've used your brain and you've lived on earth long enough you know that there can be no correlation and there can be no relationship it's it's purely a correlation and it's a function of the fact that puppies grow and buildings go up and uh, there are billions of animals growing at all times and thousands of buildings being built at all time and there will have to be a coincidence so you have to think about things um and, and think about the foundational uh, premises of for these analyses and in the case of stock to flow what i found really compelling about this example of the regression that i asked plan b to run is that we know that the schedule of bitcoin as it is presented in this equation as the uh, as the uh, independent variable we know it is without a question an independent variable we know it is exogenous to the model in other words we know that it is not the price that is driving the stock to flow that there is absolutely no uh, feedback mechanism from the price to the stock to flow because the stock to flow according to the specification is something that was laid out in 2008 in 2008 people already knew this was going to be the stock to flow and so the data for the independent variable in this equation was all available in 2008 we know that the stock to flow today is say going it's going to be 50 if you'd run this equation in 2008 you would have gotten a stock to flow of 50 today um, or next week uh, because of the uh because this is what the schedule looked like so for me to get this um, indicator which is clearly exogenous it's clearly independent of the price and have the numbers laid out as they were back in 2008 and then let the price and then try and correlate that with the price which happened uh started to exist in 2010 so we've only had 10 years of price now there's absolutely no way that you can argue that it is the price that shaped the stock to flow. So there's definitely no reverse causality. The stock to flow was there first. And it's very clear that the stock to flow will have a link with the price. You can't deny that there is a connection between the supply and the price. It's, it's impossible to argue that, you know, if today the supply of Bitcoin instead of increasing at a rate of 4% per year, if it was increasing at 40% per year, and all, you know, all of these, um, let's say 5 million new coins were being added to the supply this year, it's impossible to 
say that that would be immaterial to the price. We can't go from 4% to 40% supply growth and think that there's no impact. So there's definitely a connection. And there's definitely, we know definitely that the direction of causality is from the stock to flow to the price. And yet when we run that regression, we get an even higher R squared than you do with the uh, actual uh, stock to flow. So it's about 96.4 or 0.964 for the R squared, which is absolutely mind blowing. I mean, I think uh, people can get lost in uh, the uh, mathematical uh, details and miss the absolutely astonishing fact that we've got an exogenous variable, a clearly exogenous variable that is clearly independent of any uh, reverse causality. And we're predicting something that involves human action, that involves humans uh, acting and buying and selling over a market that spans the entire world and includes millions of people and is worth now more than $100 billion and we are able to get this much uh, precision and, and 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 this much accuracy in the um, in, in the model's ability to forecast it's it's absolutely mind blowing i've never seen anything like this and i think you know the 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 the, um, the punchline that people continue to miss is that look at regression analysis you will never find these kinds of numbers of an r squared that is this high for anything that is related to human action for anything in which human beings are acting so if if you got a machine that shoots say um that, that shoots balls or if you got a gun that uh, shoots bullets and you did a very precise scientific mechanical calculation of the weight and the speed and the energy and you predicted how far the bullet would go and then you carried out that experiment over 10 years of shooting a bullet every day, depending on uh, the parameters. And then you plotted the, um, the actual uh, distances in which the bullet traveled versus the predicted dis uh, distances, you'd get something similar to the R squared that we get with this model. It's absolutely unheard of. I've never heard anybody mention it and I've asked, uh, and I, I, but, uh, I've found nobody. It's absolutely impossible to imagine something like this for something that involves human action, for something that involves human beings acting on things. And generally, when we're building models of things that involve humans acting in them, we will have three, four different factors or many more factors. We'll have um, interaction variables where it's uh, a function of the two variables together. You multiply them together or something or the other and include all of these variables and you still get an r squared of 0 0.5 0 0.6 0 0.7 if you're lucky and then that's really uh, pushing it when it comes to things that uh, involve humans because human action is um, is unpredictable there are no constants to it and human beings are not uh, simple uh, uh, machines where we can just predict what they do and yet we see with this um, stock to flow with only one variable and it is clearly exogenous we get an r squared around practically one it's it's absolutely mind-blowing right and the typical uh, right if we're thinking from an austrian perspective we're thinking well hold on economic law we must understand that praxeologically you know we cannot divine that merely from statistical uh, examination of prior existing relations because those relations may not hold into the future 
And that's kind of the fundamental way to think about that. I'm wondering, Plan B, if you have any thoughts to add on this idea of the Satoshi's schedule R squared? Yeah, it was a fun experiment that that, that uh, Save asked me to do because I, I in the beginning I didn't understand what he, he wanted to do uh, and I did it wrong also uh, the first two times. But uh, yeah, it, in the end, the original release schedule, the the stock to flow schedule, was 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 known in two thousand eight and and. Um, Projecting that to the the prices is absolutely uh, a very interesting idea, and I totally agree with the um, the no the notion that that a model should be used to guide your thinking. It should not be you should not be be get be married to the model, and and uh, and 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 it's quants like me can get married to models very very fast. So so. Uh, and so that's actually the second reason, right? That I mentioned why I wanted to. Uh, published this, this uh, cross-asset model because I think it it gives a, a far better way of of thinking about and discussing about Bitcoin and its valuation and and uh, going forward than the very strict uh, uh, time series way that, that that we've been talking about it before. So yeah, it's it's uh, and the quote in my article also refers to that. So that was a quote of. Uh, of William Lawrence Bragg, he's the guy who uh, who got the Nobel Prize for X-rays and stuff. So he says the important thing in science is not so much to obtain new facts as to discover new ways of thinking about it. Uh, so I, yeah, I couldn't agree more with uh, with Bragg's and and Seifedean here. Excellent. Uh, another interesting question I think is around inflation adjustment of the. US dollar value of Bitcoin, right? So people like to predict out, okay, I think it might be however many hundred thousand dollars in today's terms or in the terms of that day. So nominal as at 2024. So do you have any thoughts on that idea, whether these models should try to account for inflation or whether they should just literally be a nominal value model? Uh, Plan B, perhaps, first. Yeah. Um... It's an interesting question, and I, I think it's especially if we go look um, historically to the data. So if if we go back, like uh, like like we were planning to do a uh, hundred or or four hundred years back in time with gold, I, I do have four hundred years of gold data, supply, stock, stock to flow, etc. But if you then relate it to price, of course you have to uh, cor- <laughs> um, you have to adjust for inflation. Because, yeah, well, the dollar. But you run into all kinds of problems doing that. So, um, yeah, you know, the, the, the analysis that I do on 10 years of Bitcoin data, I ignore inflation. So I just plug in the uh, the data that you saw in the in the cluster charts. And those are data straight from the exchanges. Uh, no inflation adjustment. I think we're fine with the 10 years. <laughs> of course, the dollar declined a little bit in value in, in, in purchasing power. But uh, I think we're fine, and especially with the cross-asset model. Of course, you're, you're looking at, yeah, well, one uh, time, time is not a part of the model, so, so it doesn't matter. Uh, still, it, it would be very interesting to uh, to look at the historical path at gold or silver because it goes back, like Safedin explained, it, mm. it, it loses stock um, on 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 that uh, model line. So uh, yeah, no, I think I think it's interesting. Um, but also in the future, you know, if you if you're going to predict, uh, forecast uh, Bitcoin or whatever price in the future, 
which we're doing right now, right, with the 288K. Um, if we're going to predict into the future, it's it's also important to not to predict too far into the future, because if we're going to, you know, the, the, the well-known argument against the model is it goes to infinity. Stock to flow goes to infinity and the value goes to infinity. And well, you know, that's why the model isn't value. That, that, that's a silly argument, if I may say so, because um, you, you would never use that argument in, in weather forecasting, for example. If we can, we can forecast the weather one day uh, for tomorrow, the day after tomorrow, maybe the day after. <laughs> Uh, but but forecasting one month or one year out, it's absolute nonsense. And uh, I think that's true for a lot of models, also my model. So, uh, yeah, I would be very, uh, it would be very interested to see next uh, phase, the uh, the uh, stock to flow uh, 56 phase, and maybe the halving after that, the phase after that. And if we're very, very lucky, the halving after that, but to argue that, when uh, stock to flow goes to infinity, which is in 2140, right? It's it's a it's hundred years from now. So yeah, uh, to argue that the model is still valued, uh, then I, I, I don't think that's true. And even if it were true, we had to uh, adjust for inflation. And, uh, it, and of course it measures market value in dollars right now, the model. So on the y-axis, it's dollars. Um, and I really think, and that's, that's why I think the phase metaphor, if you will, is is helpful as well. I really think that if we go to phase, the next phase, the fifth phase, or the sixth phase, this is the phase after that, the dollar will be severely impacted, if not um, killed in action. <laughs> yeah, I think this is, uh, I've heard you say this before, and I'm not entirely sure I agree with it. I think uh, the model... Uh, it doesn't have to break down. In fact, it's built so that it doesn't break down because if you're measuring it in dollar terms, you know, even before 2140, when the Bitcoin stock to flow is at, say, 400 or 800, then um, that's almost uh, that's almost as high as being practically like infinity. And um, this could, you know, the, I don't think you can just say that the model breaks down because it could just continue to fit the model as uh, the price of, as the market cap of Bitcoin goes up to infinity in US dollar terms. Um, you know, we may not hit infinity at exactly the time that the stock to flow hits infinity, but uh, even if it happens uh, 100 years earlier, 2040, 20 years from now, it's still going to be similar to infinity, and and, and uh, you know if we have a dollar breakdown, then uh, that's uh, that's your model. So don't write it off just yet. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I agree. <laughs> I, I agree. I, I think the uh, the model will not break down. The dollar will break down. In, in fact, that's a certainty because all fiat <laughs> currencies, well, no, all, all fiat currencies, all four hundred of them, all go went down in the last uh, last years. There's none that survive, and and especially reserve currencies, right? They're the lasting hundred years, and and uh, but there's none that that lasted for two hundred years. So it, it will come to an end. The dollar, it's not a um, thing that's that's even de yeah debated uh, much. But uh, yeah, so so I agree. I think the the uh, the the model will outlive outlive the dollar. <laughs> <laughs> that's I think that's a great quotable moment. The model will outlive the dollar. Uh, and look, while we're speaking about models, it might be nice to compare now to some other models historically. Now, there has been some chatter and some debate on Twitter. Uh, so uh, let me just um, 
open the screen share. So here you can see just one example. So Eric Wall, I know uh, Plan B, you and Eric Wall have sort of gone back and forward. And also uh, Nick Emblow uh, has also gone back and forward. And he's talking about here this rainbow chart model, right? And so there's a little bit of, you know, a bit of playful banter back and forward. And essentially, Eric is trying to say, no, uh, you know, maybe it, the, the, it's, it's too, you know, it's just, it's uh, maybe it's setting the wrong expectation. And let's just, let's just go back to the old rainbow chart. So uh, do you have any thoughts on that plan B? Well, first of all, if we uh, fight on Twitter like this, uh, you have to know, and I do that sometimes with, with, uh, with people, you have to know that we have uh, DM contact most of the time. So it's, it's really trolling and, and uh, all in good faith. And I like that. That's, that's part of uh, crypto Twitter. So, uh, oh, good. Um, but of course, I'm, I'm more interested in the more serious debate uh, that I'm have, having with the quants right now, um, you know, with uh, Nick and Marcel and mm -hmm. uh, all the German guys. Uh, so, so uh, yeah, I, I don't know. The, I could, we could go through that, that tweet storm about the rainbow chart, but I, I, would, I would kill each and every one. I, I think they're all uh, very funny, but but not not helpful in the debate <laughs> not serious yeah yeah and, and if i may um yeah show one thing i mean do you have that yeah. chart that 2014, yeah, the 2014 one yeah i'll pull that one up yeah. one sec there you go that's the one because the, the whole rainbow chart it, i love it it's it's you know everybody loves rainbows but it's based on a 2014 power law model it's a time model uh, so instead it's the same model as stock to flow but instead of stock to flow it has time the number of days since january 2009 and it's a model from trollolo uh, he was a guy on reddit i think uh and he, uh, he Bitcoin made this talk, I think. Yeah. oh yeah, yeah yeah you're you're right uh so and it's a 2014 model just after the big all-time high uh in 2013 so you see the, the, the first part of the line, the, the, the somewhat thicker, brighter line, that's the original model. And you see the red line that's fitted through it. It's, it fits really, really well, high R squared at everything. But then <laughs> it started to uh, deviate in the, in the future, right? Because uh, I think it, it was to the Mesa who plotted the, the, the more recent green uh, dots in there, the more recent Bitcoin prices. And it shows that the model, the red line, the, the original Trollolo rainbow line, if you will, is far too high, over overestimates the prices and has to be adjusted downward. So if you look at all the rainbow charts and in fact, all the time, time model charts that are out there at the moment, they have a uh, log, log uh, line. So the red line that is much lower than this 2014 line. And that's what I, well, uh, that's why I find time series model less uh, useful than the stock to flow model uh, and less useful i mean i don't use it it i think it's rubbish yeah 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 I'd, i'll tend to um, i tend to agree i think there's a lot of criticism of the stock to flow model but a lot of people don't seem to understand that um, their objections are actually just arguments for why this is even more amazing so when you come up with an explanation for instance people will say well well this is only measuring the price according to demand but that's ridiculous uh, according to supply but that's ridiculous because supply and demand should be there well the answer is okay well then go make a model with supply and demand and put in other factors and show us that you can get a higher explanatory power that's that's really the you know, you, you can come up with, uh, with with theoretical objections to why the model shouldn't work, 
but you can't come up with a better performing model and that's the tricky part so it's it it, it it sounds shocking that yes we're just calculating it based on supply it sounds shocking that yeah doesn't take into account inflation doesn't take into account all kinds of different things and yet here we are the r squared is still north of 95 percent and all of these other models can't come anywhere near so you can do a time model you can put in all kinds of metrics for uh, demand uh, we've seen people try and build sophisticated models with uh, on-chain metrics and off-chain metrics and data from exchanges and all kinds of different things nothing comes close so uh, the fact that you can find the problems with the model and still not find anything better than it or still not find a way of improving its explanatory power should be giving people a uh, reason to pause and think rather than just you know uh, this this kind of petulant oh well here you go i found a reason of something that should be in the model but it's not therefore your model's wrong i, th I think that's uh, that, that's definitely the wrong way to approach it yeah uh, one other one idea as well so Maybe a skeptic might say, well, hold on, there's all these different models now, right? So the first model that Plan B you put out was for 55,000 or prediction, that's the what the model would say. And then a later model was saying, you know, 100,000. And that was, uh, there, are different, there were different versions of the model. Uh, and, uh, you know, there are other ways you can cut the data. You could say, oh, look, I'm looking at the one-day model or I'm looking at the 365-day model. Would, would that look like to an outsider, oh, well, you guys are just covering your bases for this coming bull market and it's just, you know, it's going up and you just got all these different places that you would just point back to and say, yeah, see, that was the model. What would you say to that? Plan B. Yeah. yeah um, I can understand that critic. Um, uh, and especially if you're not used to investing or um, using models like this or even making models like that, that's even smaller uh, group. Uh, and I, I must imagine, you know, I, I crossed the 95,000 followers uh, today, but I, I bet you that 80% of the people, um, yeah, is, is, not, is not used to using models every day uh, or, or let, let alone making them. So I really understand that critic and it must look like, oh, they're changing. I think even Eric Wall uh, mentions this as, as one of, it's changing. It, it keeps changing all the way, uh, the formulas. But um I think the main thing that I should say here is that we see science unfolding for our eyes here. Uh, it used to be uh, letters between scientists in the in the old days, right? The the, the famous letters of uh, mathematicians that were found and and later uh, studied and discovered. But with the internet, it's it's it, everything goes so fast, and it's going through Twitter of all media it's going through twitter uh, the fastest so uh, you're seeing uh, the debate the highly scientific scientific debate unfolding for your eyes and it must look you know, some things are better if you don't know how they're made it's like uh, it's the same for sausage and uh, and the law <laughs> <laughs> but also with models so so yeah you you see it's all there uh, even the failures and uh, um, and it's, I would say the main argument is it's, it's evolving. So yeah, uh, you know, the first model, it adjusted for, for uh, lost Satoshi coins, just a very arbitrary way. Uh, you could do that far more advanced and that would give a slightly different model. And you could even skip all the lost, lost coins, just pretend it's, it's not very material impact. 
and it would give a slightly different model. So, yeah, you could use daily data, weekly data, monthly data. It would give it slightly different model. Uh, so that I think we're we're seeing his yeah science un unfolding for our eyes in on Twitter. Um, keep that in mind. And the other thing is it's order of magnitude, right? It's not a very precise thing. So it's, it's not like the bullet and the gun that Seyfedean described. It's not um, physics or, or chemistry even. It's, it's um, a social uh, science. So it's order of magnitude. And even if it's order of magnitude right, I think it's the models are very, very helpful. Yeah, yeah so I, I think, think this is, uh, yeah, this is the, uh, you know, the idea that, um, First of all, yeah, there are all these different ways of uh, running the regression, and yeah, you'll get 50 or 100 or 150 or whatever um, for next year. But, uh, and that sounds like it's a very wide range, just like as I was mentioning earlier, 3 to 13 for this year sounds like a very wide range. However, it's a wide range when you're looking at it from the perspective of this year. But if you're looking at it from the perspective of Bitcoin over the last 10 years and the coming 10 years, it's actually a very precise a uh, very precise estimate, you know, between, um, let's say, potentially 0.3 cents and, let's say, $1 million Bitcoin uh, in 10 years, for instance, if that were the case, then actually being able to pinpoint this year's prices to be somewhere between 3 and 13 is astonishing accuracy. That's, that's I think, the thing that people miss in this model. So, uh, and, and, and I think the other aspect of it is that even if... Um, you know, even even if the numbers don't exactly pan out, um, the margin of error around this is large enough that you'll still a very accurate. The, the model is still very precise when you look at it over the long uh, over the long over a long period of time. Um, it's it's a lot of variation only because you're looking at it statically today. But if you're looking at it over the a 10, 20 year period, it's still a very small amount of variation. Excellent points, both of you. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the future of Bitcoin modeling. I, I, you know, over time, there have been models that have been tried and failed. And it seems that so far, Stock to Flow has survived, basically. Uh, it's this process. How do you see modeling evolving? Do you see, are there other ideas that are coming down the, pi down the pipeline? Uh, and how do you sort of see that changing over time, Plan B? Um, yeah, first of all, the quote, all models are wrong, some are useful, is of course uh, appropriate here. Um, so yeah, there will come a day that stock flow model maybe is proven wrong. Uh, it's all part of the game, part of science. Uh, so far, like you said, it's, it's still standing. Uh, so, uh, yeah, what, one of the uh, very much discussed areas uh, was co-integration, of course. I think um, most of the action right now is there. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I don't think it's maybe for now it's a very technical um, subject. On the other hand, uh, you know, if there is co-integration, you would have more confidence about it not being a spurious relation. Um and if there is no co-integration, because the whole debate right now is is, is about, uh, hey, is, is, is stock to flow a trending or a non-trending uh, stationary uh, variable? And if, if stock to flow is not going up, is, is only going up before, because of structural breaks, then there is no co-integration. Would that hurt the model? Well, yes and no. 
it doesn't hurt the model. The model's still standing, but it would take some of the confidence that you get from a series being co-integrated away. Uh, on the other hand, a, uh, um, an experiment like Seifenin did with the Satoshi coins uh, would also give confidence. And of course, I chose the route uh, of including other assets, cross, so making a non-time series model, but a cross-asset model, which uh, gets rid of the whole co-integration problem uh, altogether. It, it introduces other problems, <laughs> less data points, of course, but, but uh, it, it, you know, so I think there is a lot of, um, uh, and, and there's, there's uh, totally other models as well that people look at, the uh, Metcalf uh, law, uh, of of, of uh, adaption, if you will, the number of addresses, the number of transactions, and uh, those those models are. I looked on on some of these models as well. Those are also very interesting. But um, yeah, I, the for example, the number of transactions model has the problem of uh, uh, batching. If if uh, exchanges are uh, so, they all went batching transactions the last couple of years. So that totally breaks the model. It takes the number of transactions down. Uh, so you have to look at UTXOs maybe. Uh, and and so there's, yeah, there's definitely more modeling going on. But to be honest, as an investor, uh, I'm only um, going uh, with the stock to flow model right now. Of course. Uh, and let's talk a little bit about the implications of this modeling work, whether that is for Bitcoin uh, market participants, as in if you're a miner, you're, you're an investor, or the broader world. Uh, Safety, did you want to start on that, with the implications of this model onto uh, Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoiners and the rest of the world? Honestly, I think um, I'm not sure how you're going to how much you're going to like this, Stefan. But I think the, the the most important implication of this model for me personally is that it is probably the most serious challenge uh, to Austrian economics I've ever seen. Like I've I've after learning Austrian economics, after studying this, I became extremely skeptical of mathematical models, and um, I generally when when I when I look into modeling it ends up being an exercise of just finding out what mistakes people have made in order to get the results that they want to do. And if you're studying academic research, you look at, you're, you're generally dealing with garbage statistics um, with an agenda of people trying to crowbar as many variables and uh, trying to use as much statistical techniques as they possibly can to try and um, arrive at the conclusions that they want to arrive at. And so I was extremely skeptical of the idea that you could find um, mathematical models that could predict human behavior. And I think, you know, when you read Austrian economics, um, human action in particular, you know, Mises is very clear about the fact there can be no constants in human action. Uh, individuals are acting and individuals are not reducible to simple uh, equations. There are too many complex factors that come into play in that you are not able to um, abstract from the complexity of human decision making and the human will and human action you cannot abstract away from that into numerical equations and um you know when you see things that involve human action you can't get uh, as i was saying earlier this is something on which Mises and e econometricians would agree you you don't get an r squared that is high if something involves um human action so if you're measuring the r squared for 
the gun, you know, you'll get something like 95% because there's always going to be an error margin in the, the, the speed of the wind or whatever when you're calculating how far the, the, the bullet is going to run. But here we've got something that's just a very simple variable, which is clearly exogenous, which was determined by somebody in 2008. And we have billions of people all over the world who every day wake up and make a decision about whether they're going to buy Bitcoin, sell Bitcoin, or not do anything about their Bitcoins, but not, no, not buy or sell. You know, 7 billion people every morning make that choice. And as a result of those 7 billion choices, you get the Bitcoin price at the end of the day. And the fact that it is so well correlated to the number that was made before 2009 is absolutely mind-blowing. I still can't get over it. And I think it is, it, it's the most serious challenge to uh, Mises' human action. It's the idea that there can be no constants in human action, that you cannot reduce human action to mathematical variables. Well, Plan B has done it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's absolutely mind-blowing. But we can find that equation based on a clearly fixed exogenous variable, and we can estimate the price of Bitcoin with astonishing accuracy. So I'm not going to say that it's going to make me revise um, my view on Austrian economics, and I'm not going to stop being an Austrian economist, but I think after 100 years of Mises, or more than 100 years of Mises making these points, we finally have one example of uh, something that emerges out of human actions that is uh, predictable according to a constant buying equation. So if this, uh, if, if this uh, formula continues to hold over the next few years, it's, uh, it's insane. I mean, it's the fact that it's already held so far is still astonishing, but if it continues to hold past one more having and another having, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's amazing. I, I, I just can't stop thinking about it. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh well, well, we'll have to see, right? Uh, and uh, I might take a couple questions out of the chat here. I've got one here for Plan B. So uh, we've got the question here. I'm putting it up on screen now. If the question is, what does Plan B think on Burger Crypto AM's analysis of co-integration for structural breaks? Any thoughts? Yeah, that, that's what I talked about earlier. Uh, so that's the time series world, not the cross-asset model. It's the uh, discussion about co-integration. Uh, if it's there... And both Burger Crypto and, and Nick, of course, uh, in earlier studies, and uh, Manuel Anders from the Landesbank, um, we concluded there is co-integration. So if there is co-integration, it really adds confidence to the model that the model, that the, the relationship between stock to flow and price is not spurious. So it's real. Now, the state of the art, top of the spear thing is structural breaks. So all the co-integration tests, um, they, they say there is co-integration, but there is some tests that test for structural breaks in the data sets. And of course, the halvings, you know, the stock-to-flow doubling, well, twice now and, 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 and in a week again, could be seen as structural breaks. And if you adjust for those structural breaks, that so if you use the tests that adjust for structural breaks, then the co-integration uh, falls away. And uh, Burger Crypto, I think, didn't test yet uh, for co-integration with structural breaks, but Nick um, Emblo did. Uh, it took his computer, by the way, uh, two days of 24/7 uh, running. But uh, <laughs> it, it, so, and it concluded. If I'm, I think it was yesterday. So I, I, I'm not quite. I'm sure, but I think he concluded that there is 
if you account for structural breaks, there's no co-integration, so that we would take some of the credibility of the model away. Point. Yeah. That's that's just how it is. Yep. Gotcha. Uh, well, thank you for hand, that. Yep. On go the on. Other hand, maybe I should add because uh, even in the early article and the early tweets, I I I didn't mention co-integration, but I mentioned that uh, the stock to f- or the Bitcoin price is above and below the stock to throw model value every single year and in essence that is what co-integration is about right so uh, we might find a third group of tests <laughs> that that eventually um, um, agrees with co-integration again so but but the the concept and the basic of co-integration is that the series keep together very tightly and that's what you see in the in the series so so yeah i guess we have to do more tests and uh but we also have to um yeah notice that this is the time series world with co-integration well, co-integration very important etc etc and and of course i'd like to broaden that space of thinking i'd like to go to the next level to the cross asset world Great. Okay. Thank you for that. And safety and I've got a question for you from the chat here as well. So mm-hmm. the question here is uh Please ask Safedine what the implications are having a money with an expected increase in value better than any productive investment in terms of ROE, return on uh, investment, I guess. Yeah. Well, I think this is uh, um, fittingly enough for today's episode. This is a phase question. So it depends on what phase are we talking about. In this current phase, when Bitcoin is still less than 1% of the global money supply, um it's uh, investing in bitcoin beating other uh possible investments is essentially um i I like to think of it here you know at at this point although although bitcoin is a savings technology as um our uh, great leader pierre rochard likes to always remind us it's I, I I I'd say that at this point Bitcoin is a little bit more of like a uh, an a venture capital or angel investment in uh, a startup, and it's as if you're investing in a little startup that's going to that's uh, angling for replacing central banks. So imagine you know just like Uber against the taxi commissions, Bitcoin is like a decentralized Uber for central banks. And it's started off being very tiny, but it has the potential put one day of a total addressable market that is all the money supply in the entire world, kicking, um, you know, taking away all the market share from all the central banks. So now Bitcoin is like a growth stock. Now Bitcoin is like a, it's it's a highly, uh, uh, it's an investment with a very high potential return um, because, you know, you're, you're gambling or you're betting on the fact that something that's one percent of the global money supply is going to have a much bigger number so at this point it is like an investment and it might you know for me the fact that bitcoin is beating all other investments in my mind the way that i interpret that is that the social value and 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 the the societal value the value that society attaches on hard money at this point is enormously um high and bitcoin is addressing that market and so um um, so the fact that uh, Bitcoin beats other investments is essentially the what the market is saying is that you know there are no better investments for the human race to be making right now than uh, getting rid of central banking, and I think that makes a lot of sense. 
Um, you know, it, it, the more people stop investing in other things and they start investing in this new startup that is going to displace central banking, the faster we can be done with central banking and uh, get back to living like civilized human beings. So this is a high return investment because it has a massive return because uh, when people are able to move to Bitcoin, they benefit enormously from it. So I think at this point, uh, you know, this is very good that Bitcoin beats other investments because we want to get stop people from investing in um, other pointless things and invest in something that's more important, which is, you know, putting central banks out of uh, business. So I think that's great. Now, once that's accomplished and once central banks are out of business, it's not going to be possible for Bitcoin to be beating other, uh, to be beating all investments because I assume the point at which Bitcoin supply growth has stopped, Bitcoin will only rise in value to the extent that the production of other goods and services increases. In other words, once we have the uh, Bitcoin supply is fixed or the growth has uh, dropped, the growth rate has dropped to be almost equivalent to zero, then uh, when you know the Bitcoin supply is not increasing, but our supply of apples and oranges and homes and cars and goods and services is increasing. And so over time, the price of Bitcoin in terms of those things rises. And so Bitcoin is um, increasing in value in real terms, but it can only increase in value in real terms if people are investing and making more apples and more oranges and more cars. So it's basically, um, you can't beat the market by holding money um, in, in, in a situation in which Bitcoin is the only money. You won't be able to beat the market just by holding money. Um, you, what you'll achieve by holding money is the expected rate of return on the market or the, or the real growth rate in production. But that has to happen because people are investing. And that's going to happen because people are, who are investing, uh, they're going to be investing because they're getting better returns. So eventually you're going to get your money supply, you know, you, your Bitcoins will buy you more apples next year than they will this year. But the apple farmer who engaged in production will not just benefit from the appreciation of their money, but also they'll benefit from the fact that they're, the, the profit that they're making is higher. So you won't be able to beat the investments for the long run. So enjoy these gains while you can. I, I think I agree very much with that answer. I've got one interesting question here for Plan B. Uh, the question is, what does Plan B think Phase 5 is? He keeps mentioning military thinkers. What is he envis envisaging? Uh, yeah. Um, I, have my, I have my ideas about, about uh, Phase 5, of course. Uh, you know, it... it, it, it only making it an institutional grade asset, financial asset, would be would be enough of a jump for me to to justify the uh, valuations. So it's not even a state level investing or, or a central bank starting to invest in, but just just make it an institutional grade investment uh, as investing asset, and, and which it is not now, absolutely not. It's it's you know hedge funds are are investing in it. Gold investors, everybody with their own, their own money, but banks and pension funds. Well, maybe some very, very liberal uh, pension funds. But uh, no, phase phase five, phase five will be a totally different thing. And um, 
and think and and that's why i mention uh strategic thinkers military thinkers and uh geopolitical thinkers because it's a global money and it it if the next phase is 5.5 trillion it will be bigger than the mili- than the the monetary base of the us dollar which is 3 trillion so it will have geopolitical consequences and it will um i know the department of defense is writing papers about bitcoin you know how to, how to attack it how to follow it how to well whatever uh so i think we're 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 sort of understaffed in in bitcoin uh with only developers miners and um and, and now some 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 very early investors and quants and economists some very liberal thinkers in those areas we need more we need and and really i i of course i know some of the geopolitical thinkers and military thinkers because I invested, in, uh, you know, the, the company that I work for invested like like a hundred billion dollars. Uh, so we we talk to those people and they think differently. They map out a route to this fifth phase. They they make multiple scenarios. They would put markers on the way, and you could recognize, hey, this is, <laughs> you know, if if you think about it be- before and mark it and plot it and make it a scenario, you could recognize those those points on the way, and I really miss that thinking right now in bitcoin and hope uh, and maybe i this is the opportunity to call upon those brains to join this journey because i think uh, yeah bitcoin will be much bigger than the uh, ju- just a, just an investment just an asset it will be money so the the thing that humans choose uh, in all their in, uh, trading in all their as their unit of account eventually so it it will be big Excellent. Um, so, look, I think that's probably a, a good spot to start uh, winding it, winding this down. Uh, just wondering if you gentlemen had any closing thoughts for the listeners. Uh, Safety, did you want to start? Mm. Well, somebody uh, in the chat asked a question. I, I can't think of anything, so I'm just going to answer that question. They're asking me what I think about the future of gold. And I'll have to say that over the past few months and since I wrote my book, I've been leaning, leaning more toward thinking that gold is the new silver. Um, I, you know, I go back and forth, and I don't think um, I, I, I'm not. My mind is not made up. I'm not sure what's going to happen, and I'm highly, highly careful about writing off gold because that's been done many, many times by many people before, and uh, we, um, you know, the world laughed at them eventually. But I think you know all of the uh, all of the previous pretenders to gold were always designed by people who wanted to replace gold because they wanted something more inflationary that they can control. And Bitcoin um, Bitcoin attacks gold in the you know in in its weak spot in its or in its strength. It attacks it really where it matters, which is at the stock to flow. So Bitcoin is not un- just another way for somebody to get rid of gold so that we can uh so that we can uh so so that we can inflate and and have inflationary money bitcoin is a way that gets is a replacement for gold that is less inflationary and i think looking at how silver was um demonetized and became more and more of an industrial metal makes me think of a way in which this would happen with gold and so i think if the um you know if over the next 10 20 30 years 
Bitcoin's monetary premium continues to rise, so people hold more and more Bitcoin. The value of Bitcoin goes up, but the value of gold doesn't go up significantly. The monetary premium around gold does not go up significantly. Then gold is declining in value in real terms, and it becomes more and more economical to be used uh, for it to be used in industrial applications. So people will start using more gold in electronics because it starts getting cheaper and cheaper. And once you start doing that, once you start in, once you start putting gold in these industrial uses, this is—it's not exactly like consuming gold because you can always get it back out of the phone or out of the electronics. But it is similar because the cost of extracting it from those electronics can become higher and higher. So once gold becomes cheap enough that, let's say, uh, an ounce is one thousand dollars, but you can put it in a phone. And then if you wanted to get that ounce out of phones, it would cost you something like $10,000 to get one ounce. That gold is practically gone out of the supply. And so we're back to the situation with, the, we're back to a similar situation with silver, where the gold stock is now declining. And so the flow or the new annual production is becoming more significant compared to the stockpiles. So I can see this happening more and more as, uh, if, if if the situation continues as we have, and I think um, what's I th I'd say kind of making me lean more toward thinking about this is that you look at the world economy and all of the fireworks and all of the disasters and catastrophes happening, and gold still can't get to a new all-time high, and so you know it's looking more and more likely that the limitations of gold the fact that you can't clear it internationally and the fact that banks central banks control it and own a lot of it are just limiting its ability to play its monetary role more and more and i can see how with bitcoin there there's less of a there's even less demand for people to be using gold and i can see how it could um switch toward becoming uh, more and more of an industrial metal over time Excellent. Uh, plan B as well, if you've got any closing thoughts, and perhaps one last question for you would be, uh, would you, you, you've spoken about going dark. Is that something you're still thinking about doing? And, you know, would you, when would you do that? I'll leave that for the end. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll first uh, um, go with Seferdin on the gold and silver uh, view. I think uh, that view aligns with my view, but uh, on a on a bigger scale i think bitcoin is going to suck out the monetary premium of everything that's out there so you see this black hole uh, uh metaphor sometimes um but right now uh, a lot of things are are used by by investors and normal people to store their wealth uh and and you know everything that cannot be printed by the government is good so silver gold uh real estate uh, there's a lot of a lot of monetary premiums premiums in real estate at the moment. A lot of apartments and houses that that people don't live in, but they, they just hold it for investment, which is a waste, of course, for humanity. Uh, so I think uh, Bitcoin has a very important role to play as a um, a monetary asset, the best monetary asset, the the hardest money, the soundest money, uh, without utility value, so it doesn't it doesn't destroy the utility value like real estate and also gold and, and especially silver are doing right now. So that will be phase uh, phase six and seven stuff, I guess. But uh, but yeah, I, I could see that happening. Well, um, and and 
in line of that and what I said earlier about military uh, um, thinking and, and Bitcoin being uh, bigger than the monetary base of the US dollar, um, me going dark, yeah, a lot of people think uh, that that is a serious option. So, um, uh, yeah, I, it would kill a lot of, lot of um, <laughs> community followers, social media asset, if you will. But in the end, um, if my, a lot of people think I, I go dark when the model breaks, when it, but <laughs> when they shout at me for being wrong, that's not the case. I think I'll stay then because we need a different model and uh, etc. I will go dark if the model is successful. Because if the model is successful, it it will be an it will not be a pretty picture. It will be it will be nasty. It will it will maybe war. It will be um, yeah. People have bitcoins. Some people uh, don't have bitcoin. Uh, it will be some countries have bitcoins. Others won't have bitcoins. Uh, I, it will be the U.S. dollar losing its reserve status. Uh, it will be geopolitical. It will be military. So. Um, Either I play a role in there, <laughs> which means I have to disappear from Twitter, or it will be too dangerous for me uh, to to uh, <laughs> to be there, and I will go dark. So yeah, uh, that is a serious option that's that's out on the flip right now. Well, yeah, thank you very much for that. And uh, look, I, I guess I'll give you gentlemen a chance to uh, tell the listeners where to find you. So, uh, Safety, do you want to just start? And I've put up on screen uh, your website. So just tell your tell the listeners uh, where they can go to find you online or to get the book, The Bitcoin Standard. Yeah, my website, safetydean.com, it has uh, links to the book. It's uh, books coming out to 20 languages now, The Bitcoin Standard. So you can uh, see all the languages in where to buy them from. You can also see some of my recent research as well as my online courses, which is now my uh, full-time job having uh, left my university. I'm teaching uh, Austrian economics and Bitcoin economics online. And uh, you can sign up for my courses at any time because the uh, you know you download the videos and you get to um, see the lectures and the discussion sessions. Um, we have a class right now that is in its last week. We finish next week will be the last week for my Economics 12 class. But you can take it at any time. Uh, you can take the class at any time. And I will always be having weekly discussion sessions throughout the, uh, the even after the course is done being taught live, I'll still be having a weekly discussion session. So you can do the lectures uh, on your own pace and then come join a discussion session with uh, me uh, at any time if you have any questions. So yeah, you can find that on uh, safedean.com and you can also see uh, uh, You can also sign up for uh, my mailing list to stay uh, abreast of all of my uh, new announcements and uh, You can see uh, you can also sign up to buy my uh, forthcoming book the principles of economics textbook, which I'm writing based on my courses um, you can uh, buy a you can buy an advanced signed copy f uh, of the book now and get access to the draft of the book as it is being written. Fantastic. And Plan B, I've uh, got your uh, Twitter profile up on screen. Do you want to just tell the listeners where they can find you and who you're looking to hear from? Yep. 
So I'm on Twitter. Uh, you showed the page uh, right now. It's uh, Plan B at hundred trillion US dollars. It's also in the screen. And uh, well, there you from there you can go to the uh, medium articles, the three medium articles I wrote, and to the data that is being used in the analysis. It's on GitHub. Uh, so yeah, maybe something new. Um, I'll be launching a website uh, later this week that will have all the papers on there, but also all the podcasts, which is about 10 podcasts right now. So people who want to binge watch, uh, binge listen, uh, Plan B podcast can, can do it right there. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm very much looking forward to debate and to critiques on the model. Uh, mind you, I, I'm looking for um, <laughs> the uh, scientific debate. So. Uh, preferably with models, with analysis, with data. If you have some very strong logic, uh, preferably Austrian economic logic or, or uh, yeah, I would be very interested in, in hearing from you. And uh, I'll repeat my, my call for uh, geopolitical, uh, strategic and military thinkers to join the journey. Fantastic. Well, uh, look, I think that's uh, going to do it. So thank you very much, Plan B and Safe Dean for joining me. Cheers. Thank you. Bye-bye. Excellent. So uh, just uh, if you enjoyed the show, make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel and you can also get the podcast online at stefanlevera.com and I'll put a transcript. And of course, this episode will be put onto the audio stream as well for those listeners who want to just listen on the audio only. Uh, otherwise, that's it. Thanks. And I'll see you in the Citadels.